Welcome to another episode of Trojan Talk. As we have a lot to cover today, I'm Ryan Young, as always, joined by Max Brown, my co-host, the former USC quarterback, our Trojansports.com analyst. Max, how are you? I'm great. Ryan, how about yourself? Well, it was um, it was a similar weekend and yet a much different weekend uh, yep. from, from week one. And we'll get into all that. Before we do, though, I have to let our listeners know that there is a great promo. Actually, our, our best promo of the year, my favorite promo we do all year is live right now. Uh, it's it's our annual Rivals holiday promo where you get not only a discounted subscription, but you get free gear. It's our Nike 75 promo. That's the promo code, Nike 75. If you sign up for a new annual subscription, you get it for a discounted rate of $75 for the first year. And we give you a coupon code for $75 worth of Nike stuff. It can be USC Nike gear. It can be just Nike shoes. It can be anything. So basically, whatever you're investing in our excellent coverage, you are getting back in free Nike gear. So take advantage of that. It is Nike 75 is the promo. All right, Max, let's uh, let's get right into it. USC wins 34-30 at Arizona. An Arizona team picked to finish last in the Pac-12 South. An Arizona team that won... Just three FBS games last year that had the worst defense in the conference last year. Um, I can keep going, but the point is that USC was a two-touchdown favorite and again escaped by the skin of its teeth with a late touchdown drive. Let's just start with general reactions. What was your immediate takeaway as the clock hit zero and you tried the process what it just happened? Immediate takeaway was, man, we, we've seen this story before, right? And for those of you guys that don't know, I, I do the, the, the radio after the game, so taking live callers, and you, you kind of have a gist of what the vibe's going to be. And I, this past week especially, I was just sitting there next to my co-host, Sam Farber, just kind of like, man, we've seen this story before. And I, and I, I know SC fans are, are, are saying the same thing, but I think a week ago we were talking about, hey, are the mistakes from week one? Is that just week one mistakes? Is that just limited offseason mistakes? And then we, again in week two, we're seeing some of the similar themes that we've been seeing for years. So yeah, once again, it's frustrating, but then I always have to qualify it with, yes, it's frustrating. Yes, USC's not playing to their ceiling. I think we all can kind of get that. We all see the, the, some of the mistakes and kind of the, the areas that aren't great. But at the end of the day, once again, we're sitting here. USC is 2-0. They have a weak Pac-12 South relatively, and they have lit everything they want in front of them. So it's this weird kind of two sides to the coin <laughs> dynamic where the, the standard for SC has the, the overall vibe like fairly negative. And I, obviously I alluded to that with my opening comments, but at the end of the day, if I'm a betting man, I, I think USC is going to win the South. I think USC is going to play for the Pac-12 championship. And you look at their schedule, and I think the first hurdle is, is just playing all these games, as, as, as we know. But the, I mean, right. you look at every single game, like, I think USC is going to win. I, I think, yes, that they, they, they're escaping by kind of uh, a very thin margin. But I also think SC has so much talent, and the, the coaches can do enough where there is – SC is bound for a huge breakout game on offense where they just can't be stopped kind of thing, and we haven't seen that. And I know we're waiting for that, and we have, but that's the point is I think we all know it's there. And so, yeah, it's new year, new week, but it feels like an, a story in, in a book we've read before. 
again, it was so many of the details were the same from last week. Um, self-inflicted mistakes, short yardage struggles, et cetera, et cetera, defensive breakdowns. And last week in the win over Arizona State, the epic comeback, I wrote uh, about the comeback. I wrote about <clears throat> this improbable rally and the poise and everything else and the great moments. I couldn't write that this week, even though a lot of it was the same, and USC went down with a minute 35 left and drove right down the field to score a touchdown, take the lead, and then close out the game on defense. I couldn't focus on that, though, because I just I had seen too much. I had seen too much to just focus on the ending. And in the postgame, my first question to Clay Helton was, and I, it, was, it was rather pointed. I, you know, I try and be fair whenever I ask things, but it had to be asked. I said, given the short yardage struggles, the offensive line, the penalties, the defensive breakdowns, how concerned are you coming out of this game? And I knew what this answer would be, but I had to ask the question. And the answer, of course, was we won. Uh, it's a road game in the conference. That's a big deal. You celebrate all wins, et cetera, et cetera. I'm normally the last person to have a negative reflex. I, I just, just not the way I'm wired, but I just watching that game Saturday, I, it changed my expectations for this team. It, it did. Yeah. And I just, I don't know how many of these problems are fixable in the course of a seven game season that we're almost, well, I guess we're more than a quarter of the way through. I mean, how much is going to change over these next few weeks, especially if this Utah game happens this week, which it's on track to happen. That's probably your toughest remaining game. And are you going to make substantial changes in the span of a week? So we'll get into all of it, but let me ask you this. And I think you, you already answered it, but I want to ask it directly. Have your expectations for this team changed in any way based on what you've seen the first two weeks? Yeah, I would say so. I, I, thought, I thought we would see more of a jump from many of these position groups. And don't get me wrong, coaching has a huge part to do that. But a lot of these guys that were kind of young and inexperienced a year ago were then now their familiar faces. I was hoping that we would see them go from kind of good to great type thing. And I feel like we haven't seen that. And it alludes to the coaching. It alludes to the mistakes that that, that, that we've talked about. But kind of circling back on your comments about Clay there, because uh, I, I listened to your interview and your question, and you can just tell by his tone it's a coach that knows he's been down this road before. And it's a coach that knows he's running out of ways to spin things in an interview. Uh, like, like if that was an established coach, you're, they're very, they're, they're much more forward in their answer. They're saying, yes, we have to fix this. It's unacceptable. We can't do this. Coaches got to be better. Players got to be better. And it's more of a kind of uh, a call out, like, all right, tell, tell the truth post game uh, press conference. But he's not like that because you know, I think he knows how hot his seat is. He knows that he's been down this road before. He knows that many of the things they've discussed are just not happening. And so on the same token, like I can't blame him for answering that way. I think we all sitting in that seat would answer the questions very similarly because, I mean, he wants to have a job. He, he It's not going to be week in and week out. He's saying, all right, we have to fix the penalties. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Like you can't just keep saying that week in and week out and not have it fixed. And so... It, it kind of circles back from early point of uh, different year, but kind of but kind of same same deal. But yeah, Ryan, I think my expectations have lessened in the fact that I, I don't think this is a team that's poised to win a championship or win the Pac-12. And I, I think I was in that camp before the season. 
But call me crazy, I'm still in the camp that SC can run the Pac-12 South and run this, this, this schedule. I think we just have seen an offense that there's just, coaching aside, there's just so much talent that I think even even with, with the skill of these players, they can tap into it and get it done. I still have the, the, the faith there, but don't get me wrong, I'm not in the camp that this is the SC championship team that, that fans are waiting for. Well, listen. I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta own it myself. A w- week ago, I was the one asking Clay Helton about style points and and if you worry about margin of victory for the sake of playoff consideration. So that's where I was a week ago, and um, that seems pretty silly now. So I'm definitely not gonna ask that question again, yeah. and I'm not thinking anything beyond can this team maybe get into the Pac-12 championship game, but I just don't see, I don't see them going unblemished at this point. I think we've seen too many flaws, too many similar flaws, too many consistently similar flaws that it's going to rear its its ugly head at some point and be too much to overcome. So I'm expecting a loss or two. Now I'm happy, happy to be uh, surprised the rest of the way. But that's that's my thought. Let's start with the positive. Let's start with the comeback, and then we'll work backwards. So again, for the second straight week, USC's offense is at its best in the final minutes. They scored two touchdowns in the final three minutes and 30 seconds. And again, on the last touchdown, Arizona had gone up 30-27 with a minute 35 left. And Keaton Slovis marches the team down the field. He's 5-for-5 on that drive. And Bavai Malapai gets the eight-yard touchdown run. Slovis was 13-of-14 for 143 yards over those final two drives. The only incompletion was a drop by Brew McCoy. And again, there was a little luck. I mean, just talk about the eerie similarities from last week to this week. Again, he has a pass, glance off a defender's hand that probably should have been a pick, and right into Amon Ross St. Brown. Last week, it was Drake London catching the pass off a linebacker's or through a linebacker's hand. So just so many similarities last week. But what did you think of the way the team came together down the stretch to at least avoid a devastating upset defeat? Yeah, it kind of gets back to what we were saying. It's it's awesome because you know that that exists for this USC offense. I mean, it'd be a whole different conversation if SC just couldn't move the ball and it was some of the offensive struggles that we were talking about like when I was early on at USC, like like 2013, kind of 2014, where uh, you're really struggling and it's like, well, we don't know if we can do it kind of thing. Why can't we do it? No, we know we can do it as as seen by those last drives in both the, those games. So that's the encouraging part. I mean, you look at the stat sheet and you're running for 175 plus, you're throwing for like 350 plus, if I recall correctly, like that's that's getting it done offensively. But as we all know, the red zone struggles were kind of kind of the Achilles heel there. But in terms of those last drives, I think those drives especially, you can see the SC offense getting a rhythm. And, and that to me is sometimes when this offense gets in trouble is they're operating in, in, in this gray area. And I'm sure we'll talk about it on, on like fourth, fourth downs and short yardage areas. But it feels like, I mean, we talked about it last week. In my opinion, the, the best offense is that 10 personnel wide open offense. And the counter to that's going to be, oh, well, Eric Cromano got a got a touchdown pass. What about the tight ends? What about the tight ends? But even on that play, he split out wide. They're spacing. I just feel like that's that's the best offense. And at times, it feels like SC kind of goes back to the balanced attack and the, the two tight end structures and kind of this second batch of receivers just out of principle, just because they should do that. And I got no problem getting guys involved, but at times it just feels – 
kind of random, I guess. And when push comes to shove late in these games, we see kind of, all right, what's, what's your, 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 your tried and true principles? It's the up-tempo. It's getting the ball quickly out of hands. It's, it's spreading out the run game. And I just feel like that should be something that's down, like possession in, possession out, really put, like pedal on the metal and, and kind of, and kind of uh, putting pressure on the defense. But yeah, once, once again, SC gets away with one, I guess we can get into some more uh, other offensive, uh, offensive deals. But once again, you finished out a drive, finished out a game, a game where a year ago SC might lose, and this year they find a way to get it done. And so even with some of Keaton's goofy kind of arm situation and whatever's going on there, he finds we'll a way to, to get it done and, uh, and piece it together. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get to Keaton. Stats are funny. Stats are funny. USC, 34 points, 498 yards, and the fan base is apoplectic about the offense. They are out on Graham Harrell all of a sudden. And it just um, doesn't match the numbers. You see the numbers, you go, wow, that was a great day. But I get, I get the frustration. I'm definitely not out on Graham Harrell. I think they're going to figure this out. But I do want to stick with my stats or wacky line of thought here and highlight one thing. Clay Helton was really pounding home the fact that we decided that, that we have to hit 175 rushing yards a game. That's going to be the magic ticket for us this year uh, with our great passing attack. If we get from 120 a game to 175 a game, that's, that's the difference. We got 173 this week. We hit our mark. That's great. They had four nice runs. They had, they had three long runs. Take those three runs out. Those three runs, Marky stepped down the sideline. Uh, Stephen Carr's big scamper up the middle. And then Carr's uh, 19-yard draw that set up his own touchdown. That's 105 of USC's rushing yards. On the other 27 attempts by running backs, they averaged 2.6 yards per carry. So what's more projectable going forward? Is it more likely that the 27 rushing plays that did almost nothing are reflective of what you did, or the three that you sprung are reflective of what you did? I know that it's the big picture every time. You're always going to have a few that break, and that's that balances things out. But am I confident they're going to break three runs for 105 yards next week? Or am I more confident that they're going to average close to what they average on the other 27 carries? So I would not be celebrating this rushing performance overall. I would celebrate the running backs uh, for finding a way and, and making big plays, but the offensive line is, is a concern to me, and I think that it's misleading to be – chest thumping over over 173 rushing yards when it was really a interesting dichotomy of uh 90% of the plays did nothing and uh these 10% did something. No, I'm right with you. Yeah, it's like a it's a it's a cute talking point saying the 175, but it's kind of an arbitrary number because you don't know the 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 flow of the game and whatnot, but I I know for me in the pregame show, the the key, my key to the game was linebacker play on both sides. I wanted USC's linebackers to elevate, and we, we can discuss that. I, I didn't necessarily see that. Obviously, it was hurt. But I also wanted Arizona's linebackers. Like, that's, a, that's an inexperienced group. That was a group that was a huge concern for Arizona. So, yes, you're glad you ran 175 on them. But we've also seen games where Arizona just has no shot at, at stopping uh, USC's run game, a la last year with a four-string running back. Like there, we've seen that game before where Arizona is just outmanned. The and last got, two years, and you got no sense of that. There was no sense that I mean Arizona was was hanging in there. And sure, you can give them credit, but the standard at SC is to be to be better than that. And and you mentioned those long runs, and to me, uh, it felt like SC had good rhythm 
in between the the red zones. So like middle of the field, fringe red zone and whatnot. Like they're getting a rhythm. They're able to get some runs. I know the broadcast was talking about the struggles on first down in the first half, but I thought Graham made a good adjustment kind of second half, really uh, kind of establishing the run uh, on those first down plays. But it just feels like the second they cross the 30-yard line and get in the red zone, everyone gets stagnant. And you can see the players looking over to the sideline, and it feels like they're trying to kind of reinvent the wheel with every play call only to kind of do a very basic inside inside zone run or basic concept. It feels like the, the play calls shrink a little bit, which that's football to an extent, right? You can't call every pass concept in the world down in the red zone because windows are tighter and, and, and yardage is shorter. But it just feels like they, they let off the gas. They We have this momentum. We have this excitement. And then the, the whole entire vibe of the team is like, let me wait for someone else to make a play or let's not make the mistake or let's let, let's let's be very meticulous in every single play call we do and to me that gets back to like my gray area point is it feels like that's not the offense SC's running meticulous thought out very um very yeah very yeah very like thought out offense that's the lane kick kiffin vibe that's the old school mentality of like when I first got to SC of every run call is very specific with attacking a certain linebacker and whatnot. That's not the air raid. The air raid is, Hey, we have our core, our core principles, our core concepts. It doesn't matter where we're at. We're calling that and we're executing that five years ago. SC fans were pissed that uh, we were getting too complex with things. And and what, what was the counter to that? The counter was going to a guy like Graham Harrell and being more fluid, being more natural, just just, just just, relying on the talent that SC has, yet it feels like when SC gets in the red zone now with today's offense, we're trying to get all creative and kind of one-up things. And, and that's just, it gets back to that, that gray area mentality is, I got no problem with the air raid mentality or thought process, but then don't try to be a different scheme or a different type of like run play or play calling mentality. And that to me is where you get yourself in trouble. And I feel like it's extremely evident down there in the red zone. Well, let's focus on the most telling sequence in the game. And maybe the one that just frustrated fans the most back-to-back possessions in the third quarter. And then this really just encapsulated everything about this game. USC has third and goal from the one and they get a false start. Boneheaded move uh, really hurts your team. What do they do? They get a delay a game right after that. So that, now you're back 10 yards. Now a first, a third and goal from the one is a third and goal from the 11. Uh, incomplete pass, and they miss a field goal. Okay, they get the ball right back. What happens? They get all the way down to the four. It's fourth and one from the four. They have Marquise Step, their big bull of a running back, to try and get one yard. That play is blown up before he can even get the handoff cleanly. He gets brought down for a loss of two. Again, no points. So you're inside the five-yard line on back-to-back possessions, and you get no points. And if this was an isolated occurrence, you, you would just treat it as such. But we saw it last week, and we saw it earlier in the game when they got stuffed on a, on a third and one deep down there. So it's, um, it's a problem. So let me ask you this, Max. If you are brought in as a uh, consultant, a short yardage doctor, what are you telling this team to do to fix their short yardage woes? And I know you kind of already got into overall pace and, and, and mentality, but what are you telling Graham Harrell and Clay Helton? This is what I see. This is what you have to do to fix this. 
Yeah, the easy point right there, and I'm in agreement with pretty much every football fan, is go under center and do the QB sneak. Like, that's the easy point. That That's, that, that's obvious. I will say that takes five minutes, ten minutes out of the beginning of every single practice all year long to sure up quarterback center so you do not have any fumbles. So I, I want to put that in context for fans where it does take practice time, and that means that you might not get – bubble screen work or receiver blocking work or something like that. And so I do want to put that in context. But outside of that, I don't net out with like some fans are over the moon. Like how the heck are we not going under center? Or this is the worst thing ever. How are we doing this? You look around the country, there are other teams that do this SC way, but they have better success on fourth down. To me, you can move up. You can do more pistol action just to keep that, that pattern of, of in the shotgun, do some things. Or you can just be more innovative and cutting edge with your play calling and with your approach. It gets back, once again, and and I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but it gets back to this gray area. If you're going to be a more spread, air raid mentality-esque team, then you can't take on the mentality of we are hard-nosed Stanford in short yardage. I know there's SC fans that want that mentality and all that and all that. But to me, I got no problem having a passing mentality, but then let's be more innovative and more free-flowing and more spread wide open in those short yardage uh, examples, a la inside zone run fake and then a little dump pass out to Jude Wall for Drake London in the flat. We have not seen that. Those type of plays are what you need if you're an air raid team where you're not going to be break out the fullback, break out the two running backs and be run right at you. That hasn't been SC's mold. I held out confidence that they could get it done with the strength of their interior line, but we saw in week one that wasn't going to happen. And so week two, you should have those plays in you. And I've been in that locker room. I've been I've been on that headset, and I know Clay Helton's mentality is, screw it. We got we to gotta set a tone. We got to run right at him. We got to do that, like SC fans want, right? There's a lot of SC fans say, you got to establish that. It's got to be all that stuff. Student body right, all, all those things. But that's not the offensive mentality you have. The, 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 what you've instilled in your players by your play calling is a lot more spread-esque concepts. And so I think you can't try to reinvent the wheel in short yardage uh, at those times. You have to stick with, with what's good with you. But I also think that that's kind of one side of the token. The other side is, can you do a quarterback sneak? You should be able to do that. You should be able to put your team in that position and, and get that done. So I think it's kind of 1A, 1B there for me and how I break down the short yardage struggles. Yeah, I, I asked Clay Helton on our Sunday media call if, given what he's seen the first two weeks, if there would be any consideration to putting in an under center package for those situations. And he said, it's just not us. So don't expect that to change. But you make an interesting point that there are other things they can still do to get around that. Let's stick with the offense. And for the second straight week, lots and lots and lots of questions about Keaton Slovis's arm. I saw some more balls flutter. The overall numbers, again, solid, 30 for 43, 325, one touchdown, no picks. Obviously, I mentioned 13 of 14 over the last two drives. But the eye test is the eye test, and things do look a little different. We asked Keaton Slovis after the game, is anything wrong with his arm? And he said, no, our arm feels great. I get a little loose with my my mechanics sometimes. It could be that. Maybe it was the ball. Clay Helton's thrown out. Last week, it was the ball was wet, so he couldn't get a grip. This week, the ball's too dry. He couldn't get a grip. I'm not sure what the right barometric pressure is for Keaton Slovis to get an optimal grip on the ball or what's going on. Max, what is your interpretation of what we're seeing? And we had the same conversation last week, I realize. We're going to have it again. 
do you have any immense concerns over Keaton Slovis and the way the ball is coming out of his hands? This is so intriguing and fascinating to me, and I was looking forward to this topic, even though it's coming at the expense of Keaton, and I hope everything's okay. But it's just really intriguing because I've never seen this before. I've never seen a quarterback who visually looks 100% healthy, yet the the, the, the his throwing just d- does not. And to me, what's telling is it's kind of funny. Us media members, by us talking about it more, it becomes more of a thing and puts more pressure on Keaton and this coaching staff to have answers. And I thought it was telling that Clay tried to make excuses for him. And whether they're reasons or they're excuses, I'm not sure. But what was telling is so Clay goes, oh, it's the temperature. Oh, it's uh, the ball's like slick. Oh, it's the wind. And then five seconds later when Keaton's asked about it, he (laughs) he doesn't reference any of those factors. And so to me... That's telling where, yes, I credit Keaton for not making excuses, but then I also point to Clay and say, well, wait a sec. It feels like you're trying to back your quarterback and try to take pressure off of him. And if there was really nothing wrong or nothing seriously wrong, you wouldn't need to do that. You could just say, oh, one of those things. Yeah, we'll look about it and move on. But kind of so that that's one point in itself, which to me is very telling that there is something wrong. And the former quarterback in me, like this isn't like, like, like a guy like me, I was never a consistent spiral thrower. Cody Kessler was uh, on one end. He was as consistent of a, a spiral thrower as I've ever played with. I was closer kind of on the other end for being a, a solid quarterback, USC quarterback. I never was – I was more of kind of the Peyton Manning mold where it didn't yeah. always come like p- absolutely pure out of my hand. Keaton Slovis is closer to Cody in that respect, as we saw last year. And this year, it's not like – like for me, it, wouldn't, might, it might not have been like the, the tightest spiral all the time. But it wasn't a straight-up duck. And Keaton's throwing straight-up ducks, which to me is is a concern. And I think it's just mental. As a guy who's ripped up my right shoulder, my throwing shoulder before, and having to rehab and battle back, over 50% of that battle, I would say, is the mental portion of being able to trust your shoulder and trust your arm. And I remember at times, like, there's just random throws, especially when you're rehabbing back, where it just doesn't come off your hand right because there's that ounce of doubt and you can't have that as as a quarterback and what's another telling point to me is that after those ducks happen he's not looking at his hand he's not looking at his arm he's not shaking his arm necessarily as much as you would if there was true pain there so if there's no pain and we know the elements are not that bad like in the grand scheme of things then to me i think it's mental and it's that's concerning to me because mental those sometimes those blocks are the hardest to get over and it worries me that the injury that he took in the hit against iowa might be something bigger than we think and I like Keaton. I want. I think he's a fantastic player, and so I feel bad bringing more attention to this because I, if I'm him, I'm saying, "Hey, let's wipe this. Stop worrying about. It, stop worrying this about that." But I think it's mental, and it is very concerning to me because these are absolute ducks we're seeing from a quarterback that was very consistent as a true freshman. That's very interesting, and that was my presumption: is that it's mental because we made this point last week. They wouldn't have him throwing 98 passes over two games if his arm was compromised in some way. I just don't believe that. I, I believe him when he says his arm feels great. I mean, my takeaway from the contrasting comments were that they are just looking for any reason to take to divert the attention away from health. Exactly. And, and, and whether that's to cover anything up or whether that's just because they know it's not that and they're searching for other explanations, I don't know. But – 
I didn't think that either of them like gave a definitive diagnosis. He, even Keaton didn't say, oh, it's definitely my, my mechanics. He goes, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, sometimes my mechanics get loose. Maybe it's that. Like He was fishing. Clay was fishing. So I think that, that that to me that to me is just a talking point. They're saying mechanics just because that like sounds good, right? Like that's right. what you always say when things are wrong. But from a quarterback evaluator's eye, like he, his mechanics are totally fine. They're like they're, there's it's not like like Sam Darnold where he kind of prided himself on kind of throwing off base and different arm slots and all that. Like no, Keaton's mechanics are totally fine from my vantage point. I feel like that's just kind of an excuse and a talking point. Interesting. And just to remind people, I mean, just seeing on the message board, seeing on Twitter, people talking about his injury from last year, it, it wasn't a shoulder, it was his elbow. It was an elbow strain is what USC officially termed it. And he didn't have surgery. They just uh, let it recover. I recall in the moment, though, I was really concerned about him when I saw that play happen because that's, that's to me, one of the worst injuries where your arm is torquing forward with all this torque and strength. And it gets stopped without you without you expecting it, and your arm keeps going. Yet it's being restricted. I was really concerned that that would have a lasting impact, and I guess I've just kind of taken what everyone, what Keaton said, what the coaches have said since then that he's fine. Maybe he's not. I don't know. Maybe it's mental. We'll keep monitoring it. But it is definitely going to be a subplot moving forward. That much seems clear, unless he comes out next week looking like the Keaton of last year. <clears throat> but as you as you're saying that I'm googling Salt Lake City weather assuming that game is played <laughs> and we're good to go Saturday Cold. we got a we got a 10% chance rain a high or average of 39 degrees so that will be a very telling game because if you're perfect literally the broadcast was saying it's a perfect day for college football in Tucson so if that is and we're complaining about elements there. We're, we're talking about elements there. Uh, if it's any sort of a wet day, or especially if it's cold in Salt Lake, that that'll be very telling for where where we net out on this on this topic. Yeah, it, it was too dry. It was too dry in Arizona. Too dry. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm pretty hey, sure. I we'll, will say, fun yeah. fact for SC fans, you guys will like this. There is no better setting for. Okay, this is going to be like we're going to nerd out here for a sec. But a 4:30 kickoff in Southern California in the Coliseum, where the air is like kinda. This is going to sound so weird, but trust me, if you interviewed Kessler or or Sam Donald, they would all say the same thing. 4:30 kickoff, you get the and it's uh it's not wet in the Coliseum. You're able to get the perfect mole on the ball from the student managers, and the air at 4:30 is not dry, and it's like just before dusk. It's like kind of kind of wet a little bit. It is the perfect grip on the ball. 4:30 kickoff, Southern California in the Coliseum was the best football quarterbacking conditions you'll ever play in. Fun fact. Well, there you have it. There, <laughs> there you have it. Yeah, yeah it's it's definitely a storyline. We'll keep going, but again, he's putting up numbers. He's getting the job done when it counts. It's not looking the best. I would just hit tap the brakes on the overreactions. I mean, I'm seeing talk on the message board again about, well, I mean, maybe maybe he really was a three-star and he just overachieved last year and and then and this is what we should expect. I mean, let, let's just have a little respect for what he did last season and the fact that he's averaging, what, 350 yards a game with a three-to-one touchdown-interception ratio. It's not dire yet. It's just not aesthetically pleasing. But we'll keep... If uh, you we'll, are calling for Keaton's... Keaton, to, I don't know that he, he that he's not great or that he's getting benched. I don't know if we're going that far. Like no, no ridiculous. No, no. Yeah. That is crazy. 
He's a hell of a player, and I think that's why this is such of a talking point, is he is throwing for all these yards and putting up all these stats, yet we know he has so much left in the tank, and that's why this this topic's coming up. He's a special player, and that's why I feel bad bringing it up, because I do think it's mental, and the more attention it gets, the worse the worse it'll get in, in, in my experience. That's a great point, and I, and I totally concur with you. I think it's mental, too, but we'll see what happens. Okay, we do have to get to other things. We can't leave the offensive discussion without a more uh, focused talk on the offensive line, which I think is a major concern at this point. And again, stats are funny. Uh, Clay Helton was asked about it after the game, and he goes, well, uh, I think we, we had no sacks allowed, right? No sacks. And yeah, yeah, there, there were no sacks, but there was also no, no push up front in those short yardage plays. There was, uh, I thought, ample pressure on Keaton. And, and to me, that's why they've gone to so many of the, the quick, short passes as a way to avoid that. Am I on point with that, Max, you think? Or what's your take on the offensive line and the way it's affecting the play calling? They're just not elite. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go as far as saying like they're bad or anything. Like You don't put up those stats. And there is some truth to the rushing stats and the stats. Like Those don't, those don't just happen by accident. But we're just not seeing the step that we thought, uh, not not marquee step, but just taking the step that we thought. And I think the blueprint's very simple. Arizona and Arizona State did very similar things in that you kind of try to hang on on first down. You play soft in the coverage and on the defensive line, like you just try to take up blocks and you just stay stout and you allow your linebackers to try to make plays. And SC has not shown that they can consistently just wear you down. Uh, and so that's like the defensive mold. This is an offensive group. I mean, I've been impressed with Elijah Vera Tucker. I've been, I've been solid, like, like with all these guys, it's not like glaring weaknesses. I've been like fine with Jalen McKenzie. It's just not that dominant performance. You don't see guys just opening up gashing holes. You don't see the offensive line truly getting to the second level. Getting to the second level means you're going to, like you're you're allowing to you're you're taking care of the down linemen and you're you're punishing the linebackers. You're just not seeing that, and we know the town's there, but jump just hasn't happened. And I think that's allowed these defenses to kind of have a bend but don't break mentality, where SC puts up all these yards, but when push comes to shove, you can't string together ten play drives because at some point you're going to be put behind the sticks. And the offensive line's not able to uh, to punish you. I'm a little harsher. I think not only are they not getting pushed, I think they're getting blown up a lot. I'm still going back and rewatching the tape, but I, I thought that, that Keaton did get pushed off the spot a number of times, and there was ample pressure, even if there were no sacks. Um, but I don't know that, that a clean sack sheet against an Arizona defensive line that scares nobody is really – uh, you know, uh, going to assuage any concerns about the unit. The, the eye test is the eye test, and I'm not seeing it. I will say that Elijah Vera Tucker was PFF's highest-graded Power 5 offensive tackle this week. So he's definitely making the transition. He's He's been a bright spot, but I don't know. A lot of concern there. Let's flip sides of the field on the defense. we got to start with the linebackers. Um Palie Natote was knocked out of the game with a officially a lower leg contusion, but also concussion protocol. Didn't play most of the second half. He left, came back, and left again. Raylan Goforth is still trying to find his footing. Raymond Scott, who was a safety uh, until like a month ago, uh, played a bulk of the snaps at linebacker. 
I don't know that any of it was especially good for, for any of those guys. Max, is this a salvageable situation with the USC linebackers? It's salvageable because I think we all know the, the, the talent's there, but to your points about the offensive line, like the linebackers are concerning to me. I think you're seeing you're seeing like bright spots, but like the we did a couple podcasts this offseason and the excitement around Pallier and you you never know the true ins and outs, and I hate to bash a kid where where he's hurt and obviously there were some injuries there, but you're just not seeing the production out of him. You're not seeing the jump up. I would go as far, and I'm always worried about talking about this because you don't know the, the, the ins and outs, but he, his body itself doesn't look like he's in, like, fantastic shape. Like, just in general, like, just, just like, literally looking at him. And that's being extremely critical, and so take that with a grain of salt for sure, and, and, and you never know exactly where, where, where things are netting out there, but you're just not seeing the production. You're not seeing guys play fast. You're not like Todd loves to bring blitzes, which I'm cool with that mentality. I like trusting your secondary, but they're just not getting home. Guys are not getting press uh, pressure. Uh, you're seeing average offensive lines at best in an Arizona team taking they're, they're controlling that linebacker group and sure there's spots of doing great things, but you're not seeing it time and time again, which is obviously a huge concern and uh, especially talking with you, what's kind of front of mind is is we talked a lot about John Houston a year ago and the concerns yep. there and oh my gosh how is he playing and all that stuff on that well now we're seeing it now we're seeing why a john houston who a lot of people got on as an undersized linebacker and all that stuff like this is why he's playing because he was fundamentally sound by and large oftentimes he was right in the gaps and we're just not seeing that we're not seeing run fits all the time we're not seeing just dominant play by guys that should be taking the step up and it's not the player's fault necessarily. You, the coaches got to get that out of them. Like that is something that has to be said. It's on the defensive line for maybe taking up blocks better. But we're just not seeing that elite level play. And the linebacker group to me is concerning because I love the secondary. And I think the defensive line is doing some good things. Well, what's the other position group there? It's the linebackers. And you're not having answers. And um, it's tough with an offseason and whatnot. But definitely a cause for concern for me. Again, I, I was driving the hype train as much as anyone because I just believed that there was so much left in EA and that surely if it's going to come out, it's going to come out with a guy who's a linebacker guru in Tower Orlando and all the all the buzz and hype and comments from the coaches matched that and it was, it was just an easy narrative to buy into. And with Raylan Goforth, uh, I'm not going to uh, give up on him yet because I, I watched him as a prospect. I'm still really high on his potential, but he's got to figure it out. So we'll see what happens. Max, I was really intrigued by the alignment that Orlando went with. They were down. Obviously, Brandon Peely's been out the first two games, but also Caleb Tremblay, who started last week on the defensive line, traveled but did not, did not dress. So what did we see early on? We saw two defensive linemen, and then the outside linebacker, B-backer, Drake Jackson, or Hunter Eccles. What did you think of that alignment and just overall the approach that Orlando took to, I guess, adjust to his personnel or, or adjust to what Arizona was doing? Yeah, it's a good call by you, and I got to go I gotta go back and, and watch again and, and really break it down. But but first, that I think it's very telling that the, the depth might not be there like we had a year ago, um, which is kind of ironic because it's, it's some of the familiar faces. But when you lose Jay and other guys get banged up, like that depth gets eaten into quickly. Um, I don't mind it. I don't mind it for, for a couple reasons, I and mean, we've talked about this before where you, you got to get your best players on the field. And, and I liked what Hunter Eccles did. But at that point, if Hunter Eccles is then bet, is a better football player than, say, Connor Murphy or whoever that next defense alignment is, then even though they play different positions, I don't mind 
I don't, I don't mind that switch. If, if, and that was a concern for me walking into this year is if you move Drake Jackson outside, then that means your B backer position, that's pretty stacked, right? I mean, you got Hunter Eccles. I mean, and, and obviously if he's a backup, like he's not going to play as much yet. I like what 31 does uh, at times, especially in, in the pass rush scenarios. So I don't mind the move by Todd Orlando. My worry is that, and we saw it once again with Grant Connell, is if you put all these pass rushers in there and every guy has the mentality that I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the sack and I'm going to rush wide and I'm going to use my athleticism. Well, what's kind of the other side of that? It's open lanes. Yep. It's the ability for guys to get outside the pocket. And the mentality for every guy, yes, it should be the sack. Yes, it should be getting getting that getting that tally. But it should, more, it should be, hey, let's not make a mistake. Third and 10, let's stay in our gaps. Let's stay disciplined. And I feel like so often you see guys trying to play outside themselves and, and get get the get the sack get the big play but then oh what well, a lane opens up and you see that so often especially with some of the linebacker positions as well so I don't mind the move get your best players on the field I think it's uh, I was pleased with Drake Jackson's second half performance but I, I think and once again Marlon's being a beast in there but it's very telling that there is a drop-off at this point when a Connor Murphy goes in or a Nick Figueroa and I like what Thule did but there's obviously some some uneasiness there, and they're trying to get other guys in, and so I don't mind the rotation up front. Well, I'm going to push back on you for the second week in a row on your Nick Figueroa hate because <laughs> I think he's playing well above expectations. He, he got in the backfield again for another play. I've actually been really impressed by him. But yeah, it's uh, you know it's interesting to note that. Here, here let, let me some... uh, let me let me let me say that one more time because uh, <laughs> uh, Sean Cody and I were arguing about this in the in the pregame. I don't hate Nick, Nick Figueroa. I, I need to go back and, and, and watch this thing. I, it, the, the, the plays that he makes in the backfield, great. At times, for me, with some of the zone run schemes, he gets washed down at times, and I would like him to be a little bit more stout. That was my mole with the ASU game, um, and I thought that was kind of when you compare him to Jay Tufele, like that's obviously a, a very apparent apparent deal, but he, he's playing solid. He is not the reason for some of these concerns, so just just wanna just wanna clarify that a little bit. Fair, 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 fair. Um, it's it's worth mentioning and factoring into the evaluation that they had some funky lineups out there that they just haven't played with much. Again, they're down Peely, they were down Tremblay, Drake Jackson disappeared for a, a time into the locker room. We I, we never actually got a word on what he was dealing with. Obviously, he came back and he was fine and had two sacks. Talano Hufanga was on the sideline for a long stretch, dealing with a deep thigh bruise. And then uh, EA got knocked out early. There were times when I looked out there and I saw true freshman Tuli Tuipilotu. I saw redshirt freshman Stanley Taufu. I'm going to have to work on that one. But uh, a guy that we didn't see at all last year, really. And and they're out there together. I saw freshman Kobe Pepe out there at one point. Uh I mentioned Raymond Scott was at linebacker for a long stretch of the game where he really hasn't played much. So, you know, back to the, into the evaluation, I still think that we're going to see a better version of this defense moving forward. It's funny to me just how quickly everyone's out on Tyler Orlando. And I must have seen this comment a half dozen times Saturday. Uh, now do you see why he was fired by Texas? Well, I also look at his track record, and there's uh, a lot of really good seasons, a lot more great seasons than bad, and it's hard to fake your way through a 15-year track record as a defensive coordinator. So I'm going to put a little more stock into what he's proven over time 
and the fact that this is a wonky season. They were down a bunch of guys, and they're figuring things out, and that eventually I think we're going to see a game where you go, oh, wow, yeah, that was, uh, that was a really impressive defensive performance. Now, does that mean I think he's going to fix the linebackers? Uh, I'm not so confident at this point. I, it's just it's they've been two off for two games now and running out of time. That could be a liability the rest of the season. We'll see. Max, we, we talked about all of the areas of concern. Tell me, and offense or defense, what is most fixable from these first two games to you? Ooh, I like that question. What is most fixable? Um, if you have one, uh, I'll let I'll let you go. Let me look through my notes. What is most fixable? I will say, I'll, I'll start it off. I mean, I, I think the offense as a whole. I think the the fears about the offense and the sudden jumping off the Graham Harrell bandwagon are a little premature. I think they're going to figure it out. They went through some lulls last season. They eventually clicked and had a great stretch. Um, I think they'll probably figure out the short yardage. I think that uh, Graham's a smart guy, and they'll come up with some different things this week. Maybe they were a little stubborn in week two, thinking that uh, they didn't need any drastic changes to fix the week one problems. Maybe now they feel differently. So I think the offense – as a whole, the play calling will assuage fans as time goes on. That's the most fixable to me. Yeah. The offensive line, I think, is what it is. And the linebackers, I fear, are what they are. I think the most fixable is the first down. Um, I don't want to say struggles because I, I, I won't go that far, but that was a big narrative in the TV copy is Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson were talking about, oh, first down for USC, first down. I thought they turned around um, a, a decent amount in, in, in the second half. But I just think moving forward – the mentality is very clear. It's if they're going to play soft, we have to establish the run on first down and get four or five yards. And I also think it's two weeks in a row where I think this SC team is going to look at the film and they're really not attacking the outside lanes like they could. They have five yard hitches to Amon Ross St. Brown all day long if they want it. And they haven't necessarily done that. And I know it's funny because SC fans like, oh, I'm sick and tired of the dink and dunk, dink and dunk. Well, the dink and dunk is there all day long. I just want it to be more on the outside lanes with Amon Ra, your best offensive player, rather than dink and dunk kind of tight ends with some and other slant routes where you're running towards defenders rather than uh, on the outside line, uh, outside lanes away from them. So I just think the whole first down mentality, and a lot of the a lot of our listeners probably watch the TV copy as well. I think that's very fixable. I think you find the the rhythm of your offense and kind of the mold of your team, and I think it's very clear that. Hey, it's it's not necessarily going to be an inside zone run team on first down. It's going to have to be probably more like kind of wide open outside zone type mentality, and then also kind of leveraging all the playmakers you have out wide. And so the first down deal, I guess, is, is to me the most fixable on uh, on offense because there's a lot of factors we talked about, and a lot of the things I'm not confident that they're fixable next week. So that's what kind of made that uh, that answer a little tough. Yeah, no, I hear you. Well, let's give out game balls. It's our new weekly tradition, and then we will get to the Utah preview. Max, who are your offensive and defensive game ball recipients? Yeah, defensive game ball. Because I would have given one uh, a week ago to Marlon, I'm going to switch it up. But uh, Elijah Griffin, he's a name that I don't think his name was called once on the telecast, and uh, I tweeted this out. And it wasn't called once for for, for kind of good reason. He was not targeted. And I think this field corner and boundary corner, which some SC fans were skeptical of uh, before the season of, 
how does that impact? And I mean, tempo and and guys running side to side and, and matchups. I'm worried about that. I don't mind it because I think we've seen that Chris Steele is very physical in the boundary, and obviously he's got to sure up those uh, those penalties. But that feels like it's his strength. But to the field and the outside edge, it's almost like Elijah Griffin is is kind of deflecting a third of the field and they're just not throwing that way I mean he may have had a couple targets but he's been locked in out there I think he's he's really kind of getting to a, a premier corner in the Pac-12 and so he's my game ball there I mean Arizona just didn't look his way out on the field they were attacking the middle and they were attacking the linebackers and we've gone down that path before offensive game ball I will go I'll go your, I'll go your boy Marquis Stepp um yes. yeah I'll go Step. I think the narrative would have been a lot different if he got uh, pushed back on some of those short yardage runs. And the reality is, if, if that's Stephen Carr or that's uh, Vivai, even though they run really hard, I mean, Step was was giving it to those uh, edge defenders on, on short yardage and kind of... If he gets stopped, which a lot of running backs would have in those scenarios, the narrative would have been 10x worse in terms of short yardage, short yardage, short yardage on a narrative that's already bad. And so I think step size and ability kind of glossed over some of those either blocking miscues or just, I don't know, not ideal uh, scenarios uh, late late in the goal line. So I like what Marquis Step's doing, and I really like what all the running backs are doing. So I'm actually talking with Mike Jenks later this week. So excited to ask him about that rotation, which I feel uh, I feel pretty confident in. Well, we're pretty much aligned. I, I have a different defensive game ball, although I really like your pick, and I just didn't even think to go that way because, like you said, it was a more understated performance where uh, he was just deterring them from even attacking him, Elijah Griffin. I give my game ball to Drake Jackson, and I – Maybe just got a little swayed by the eye candy of the two sacks. And again, on that final drive when USC just needs a a stop to close it out, he gets a big sack. He did it last week with a big pressure, forcing a a bad incompletion. I thought Saturday we saw the Drake Jackson that we all wanted to see this season. So I give him my defensive game ball. And offensively, I give co-game balls, or maybe we could cut it in half. I don't know how how the physics work there. But to, to Marquis Step and Stephen Carr, because their lines were so similar, their impacts were so similar. Step, 12 carries, 82 yards, a touchdown, 6.8 yards a carry. Carr, 11 carries, 81 yards, a touchdown, 7.4 yards a carry. Um, Step had the, had the huge rumble down the left sideline. Carr had a couple nice big breaks. He had the one where he just found open field, and it was almost like he was just shocked to be uh, so alone and didn't know what to do with it. And he didn't know which way to go, and then he ultimately just fell down. So probably didn't maximize that one, but he also had that great 19-yard draw up the middle to set up his own touchdown, and I think he's playing better than we've seen in recent years. So I will give game balls to those two guys. Okay, Max, it's time to talk about Utah, a game that we are hoping will happen. Uh, Utah has not played its first two games, obviously, both canceled due to covid cases and contact tracing and all the protocols that go into place that did not have enough players to play and everything we're hearing so far at least as of monday morning is that things are on track we asked clay helton about sunday if he had gotten any assurances and he goes well i'm not sure that there are any assurances anymore in this year so we'll just you know be hopeful and optimistic but let's assume the game is happening give me your big picture 
break down this matchup and what stands out to you about USC versus the Utes in Salt Lake City. The USC versus the Utes, it's always uh, always a big game. Uh, I, I do want to start by saying we're taping this Monday morning and uh, there, there, there's murmurs that I mean, Colorado could be on the schedule by the end of the week, or maybe the, U- the right, Utes come right. to the Coliseum, or I've even heard BYU or Notre Dame thrown out there. Like, just, just I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see where the week goes. But in terms of the Utes, Ryan, like you talked about, it's a team that hasn't uh, hasn't played this season, and I think that's a big deal. I mean, we saw it yesterday with Cal kind of coming off the, the COVID lull and, and kind of slow to roll there a little bit. We didn't see it last week with Arizona. I thought they did not have any rust, but uh, I, I still think it's a factor worth bringing up. But the youths are a team that lost a, a bunch of guys. Last year was kind of their year, so they lose a bunch of production. But of any team in the conference, I feel like the youths, you kind of know what you're going to get. You're going to get a very physical bunch. You're going to get a bunch that's, that's not going to beat themselves. And then especially this year, they love their running back group. So it's I, I would envision them really looking to establish the run. And so once again, I think the defensive front seven for SC is going to be crucial because if Utah pushes that that, that group around, that's how they're going to get some momentum. Uh, Utah's breaking in a new quarterback, grad transfer quarterback. I believe Jake Bentley was officially named the starter. Um, he's a guy that's played in the SEC, so he's no, he, he's no scrub. He, he's going to be fine. It's not like they're breaking in a, a brand new quarterback that's never seen, uh, never seen action before. So I'd expect solid things out of him, but the reality is there's not the sheer level of talent that Utah had a year ago um, on both sides of the ball, really. So I would expect them to walk into this game saying, let's just not beat ourselves. Let's do what we got to do. Let's let SC beat themselves, as we've seen the, the first couple of weeks that the, potentially they, that, that, that can happen. So I think starting early and then being the, the same blueprint you always kind of hear against Utah is being physical. The front seven, both lines for SC, we haven't really seen them be dom- dominant yet, but can they turn the page in this game and, and take care of business? Uh, if SC gets it done up front or just doesn't get beat up front, I think they take care of the Utes in, uh, in a season that's it's really been a nightmare so far for Utah with all the things COVID going on. Okay, well, I mean, I certainly expected Jake Bentley to be the guy, but I, I was doing my research this morning. I hadn't seen an official announcement. I know you're pretty plugged in with the Utah crew. Is that what you're hearing? Yeah, it's a good call, Ryan. As I said that out loud, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure if that's actually official official, but I'm fairly close with some of the Salt Lake radio guys and, and the Utah guys out there. Everything I'm hearing is it's leaning towards Bentley. Obviously, he's the upperclassman, and so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think they're kind of trying to keep it close to the vest because anytime it's a tight-knit program like a Utah, I don't think they want to just hand it to the transfer, and he's really got to earn it. But I know, I know from a high level, they're comfortable with both. I think they like the way Ryzen's playing, but the the older, the upperclassmen and the experience of Bentley, I think, is going to put them over the edge. But I think you're right; it's not officially official. But everything I'm hearing inside the program is uh, it's definitely leaning towards Bentley. That makes sense. I, I was expecting he would be the guy, and obviously, a former South Carolina quarterback had some nice moments there. Transferred. He battled with Cam Rising, a Texas transfer this preseason. What is your thought there? Obviously, their identity for the last few years was Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss, and both guys are gone. What do you expect from Jake Bentley? And uh, let's go a little more in-depth on the running backs that I know you're plugged in with the, with the Utah crew. What stands out about that group replacing Zach Moss? Yeah, I'll start with with Jake Bentley. From, from what I know, that quarterback competition was, like you said, kind of – kind of like 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 very even throughout the, throughout the season uh obviously Bentley was the, the or throughout the offseason Bentley was the, the new guy and then Rising was the guy that's been in the system and but to me just looking from an outsider's view 
they went and got Jake Bentley like this time last year. Like, I mean, I guess early December of last year, which to go get a grad transfer that early and, and kind of sign him on the dotted line, for lack of a better term, it shows that they had every intent to give him the keys to the car, just even all the other dynamics aside. So that, that came as no surprise to me, and he's a good get, and I can't blame him for being aggressive in that regard. But I still think it's going to be the same Utah mentality. You're not going to get the dual threat abilities that Tyler Tyler had, but I think you're going to get a lot of kind of off-tackle right, off-tackle left, and then some play action with some deep crossers because Utah's always going to have kind of athletic, deep threat type receivers uh, on the outside. I don't think they're going to be absolutely dynamic, but they're going to leverage leverage this running back. And they have three guys that they really like. And it, it's kind of, I, I don't know if it's a toss up, but I know that they really like uh, like Devin Brumfield. He, he's a guy. And I think even though that Zach Moss is gone, we even knew a year ago that they would, they would, they would lessen Zach Moss's load a little bit in terms of the run game because they like their running back, their backup running backs a lot. So I'd expect a heavy dose of those backs. And that's why I think the first quarter is so important because if SC gets up on Utah early, it's going to be tough to stick with that kind of ground and pound game. But if it ends up being a game where Utah can string some stops together and USC is not scoring points, I would fully anticipate Utah to stick to the run game and then third down scenarios, second and long, uh, leverage Bentley's arm. But it starts it starts and ends with the run game for Utah. They're going to need to uh, establish that early to have a shot against SC. And on the defensive side, they lost uh, Bradley and I, obviously, a top defensive lineman. Um, but you pretty much know what the mentality is from a Utah defense, and uh, it's, it's going to be hard-nosed, it's going to be physical. What do you think about that matchup versus everything we've discussed with USC's offense at this point? Yeah, I think that ma- that side of the ball is a, a lot of unknowns. Um, they're having to replace a bunch, especially those pre- pass rushers and just – a lot of NFL talent um, on that side of the ball. So it is kind of a wait-and-see game, and it, it gets back to the point of, I mean, similar to what we said about Arizona, they're coming in with a lot of new faces on defense as well. Like, do those new faces kind of hit the ground running, and it's plug-and-play, and it's next-man-up mentality, which we're used to seeing out of a Utah team, or is there rust, and is there first-game jitters, and do they have struggle kind of balancing all the things that USC can throw at you and all the playmakers they can throw at you? That's kind of a wait-and-see game. That's that's the reality of the situation. I think it's very advantageous for and for USC's deal that they're getting Utah, a Utah team that hasn't played yet. That's a big deal. I, I think we kind of gloss over that a little bit because we didn't see those impacts for Arizona, but that's not to say those impacts don't exist. And so uh, even though Utah is one of the more consistent teams, it's a wait-and-see deal because they're replacing a lot of guys. And I don't have a great answer for kind of who's next or, or who's going to be the replacement guy. And I know there's a lot of Utah fans in Salt Lake kind of waiting to see as well, whether it's another Whittingham deal of, hey, we don't get the best recruits, but we find a way to stockpile guys in, in, in backup roles so they're ready when they become juniors and seniors. Or does it or does kind of the, the lack of true – talent kind of come to a head this year for Utah where uh, the, 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 the talent they have to replace is too much to overcome. We'll see. And I think that's, that's a big question for Utah fans especially. Well, that leads us into the predictions. And I think it has to be stated that USC's last couple trips to the Salt Lake City Provo Corridor have not gone so hot. Obviously, they lost in overtime at BYU last year and then in 2018 lost 41-28 at Utah Max, what is your expectation for this trip, assuming that the game is in Salt Lake City and that it is against the Utes? 
Yeah, once again, I think SC is going to win this game. I just there's so much talent. Uh, I think the the concerns in the Utah front are very very real in terms of having this long delay, um, the the uncertainty in their program, and then having to replace a bunch of guys. I think SC wins thirty one twenty four. I think it's close, but there's just too much firepower on this offense, and all the concerns about coaching and the state of the program are very very valid. But at the end of the day, you have a very talented roster, and the reality is that sometimes can trump a lot of the other concerns. And um, if I'm a USC player, I'm sick and tired of this narrative. I, I think you can look at it one one of two ways. You can kind of give into it and be kind of a, a poor me mentality, or like when I was there and we had some of the off-the-field distractions, if you have good leaders, which we'll see this USC team, because... It's a great sign when you have a lot of guys get a lot of votes for captains, but it's also a bad sign because you don't have that. That means you don't have sheer fire established leaders of hey, when things are when things are going going haywire, who do you look to? On my team, you're looking to a Hayes Pillard, you're looking to a Devon Kennard, you're looking to established voices. Um, I'm not sure if SC has that. We'll see. I think it, it's kind of. Uh, a true test of, of kind of that leadership right now. But I would expect, and I hope this USC team says enough is enough. A lot of these position groups that are, we're, we're, we're hesitant about the offensive line. We're hesitant about the linebackers. We're, we're looking maybe for a defensive line to, to, to step up and be even more dominant that they look themselves in the mirror and take the next step. And what a challenge it would be against a physical team where everyone in that SC locker room knows that when you go to Salt Lake, it's time to buckle up your chin strap and, and really set the tone. That's not necessarily the mentality when you walk into Tucson. It's just the reality of what it is. I hope that that switch turns on for SC. I would expect it to switch on, and I think they win a tough fought, tough fought battle. And the, uh, like you said, the offense kind of turn, turns the page, and they win uh, 31-24. Well, I just I hate to be the negative guy, but I just really just have a bad feeling after last weekend. And I think that this is, even though we don't know what we're getting from Utah and they are facing a lot of adversity and obstacles just getting to this game. And I guess it will depend on who's available. If we find out that they're still having a lot of players absent with COVID, maybe I'd change my, my take here. But if they are close to full strength at home, I'm going to take Utah 28-24. Hey, your, your concerns are very, very valid. I don't blame you at all. But, hey, as always, I will be happy to be wrong, and I would love to have a podcast next week where we're just talking about the breakout game for the USC offense and the, the linebackers figure it out and this and that and everything was good. And that would have meant I had a great day on the message board during the game Saturday, which was not the case this week. So I'm all for that uh, outcome. But – that's my gut feel as of right now. Max, always enjoy doing it with you. Good insight, good stuff. We will talk next week. It was fun. Thanks, Ryan. Talk next week.